When Jesus walked the earth, he started something incredible and unexpected. He did not go to the religious establishment and ask them to verify his credentials. He did not go to the scribes and Pharisees and ask them to approve of his message. When you find Jesus in the Gospels, you find the Son of God, all God, all man, walking on earth for 33 years. When you find him, you often find him in the fellowship of sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, people that were unclean because of their diseases. You find him when he is with the religious establishment being about as strong as garlic after eating pizza and not brushing your teeth for three days. I mean, he pulled no punches. Jesus saved his harshest words for Pharisees, for the religious leaders, for the elite, for the folks that said, we've got all the answers. We figured it all out. We've got the system in place, but the system didn't have a place for God's Son. He did not fit their system. And one of the reasons he told parables was because it would go right over the head of people who had figured God out. But for those that wanted to hear from God, it would be a revealed truth, a mystery that was revealed to them. Now, we're going to begin today a series of messages on the parables all in the Gospel of Luke. We will not look at all of them. We'll only look at about eight of them. But a parable is a heavenly truth in earthly language. Jesus told stories that the average person walking down the street could remember. They could remember. They could relate to. They were usually short stories to teach a profound and eternal biblical truth. The word parable is a transliteration of a Greek word, which means a symbol, a type, a figure, or an illustration. Most of the parables only had one main point. The, The key was to find the key. And so sometimes the disciples would ask questions, like they'll ask in one of these, are you talking to us or are you talking to them? I mean, who are you talking to? Uh, what are you saying? And so the parables were sometimes hidden from the religious leaders that should have been able to figure it out, but they couldn't or they wouldn't. Now, why did he use parables? Two things. First of all, to clarify, to clarify. Now, remember, the average person in Israel at the time of Christ would have been poor. They would have been in agricultural environment They would have lived hand-to-mouth, made pennies a day. They would have been people that needed stories of hope to hold on to. So Jesus would tell these stories to clarify. But when the Pharisees were around, he would tell them to condemn, to condemn. It was his condemnation on the Pharisees and their way of thinking, the scribes, the scholars, and how they thought. I remember Vance Havner said one time, I love to meet a Christian before they've met too many Bible scholars. 
That's one thing I love about what God's doing with our students right now. And, and if you tell them to calm down, I'm coming after you with an ugly stick. Because some of us know so much about the Bible, we haven't lived any of it, but we can quote it. Jesus said, I don't care if you can quote the first five books of the Bible, you ought to be living God out in front of people. And so he tells these parables. Luke chapter 7 is the one we're going to look at. It's in the context. You, you always need a context for a parable. Luke 7 and verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and was reclining at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, verse 39, now when the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him and that she is a sinner. You could just write by that self-righteous. Now, look at what he says. He said to himself, verse 40, and Jesus answered him. You may think Jesus doesn't know what you're thinking. He knows what you're thinking. And some of us have got some stinking thinking. This Pharisee had some stinking thinking. He's looking at this woman and said, if he knew what kind of sinner this was, he'd kick her out right now. In fact, I don't even know how she got in my house. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, you've got to read the Bible with sanctified imagination. And he replied, say it, teacher. Come on. Hit me with your best shot. I'm ready. No good Galilean. Jesus said a moneylender had two debtors and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning to, toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? <laughs> yeah, he did. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For I, this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many. Notice, her sins. Not talking to Simon now. He's talking to her. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Now, one of the things you need to know about Luke's gospel is Luke is the champion of the underdog. He's the champion of the outcast. He's the champion of the despised. Why? Luke is a Gentile. Luke is traveling with Paul, and he has examined the history of the gospel of Jesus. He was not around when this was going on, but Luke looks at the outcast, the rejected, the despised, and he puts them at the forefront of his gospel and says, God cares about these people. Hey, the people that when you see them standing on the street corner and you start hitting the door lock, making sure the windows are all up, and try to look straight ahead, God loves those people. When you see people, you think they don't look like you think they ought to look or dress like you think they ought to dress, God loves those people. Be careful who you judge. You might be Simon in this story. Luke looks as the outcast. What did Luke seen? Luke, as a Gentile, had seen the bad effects of false religion, and he had also seen the bad effects of Jewish religion that left God out of Jewish religion. He had seen the worst side of religion as a Gentile. He had seen it go bad. Now, you know that the Jews hated the Gentiles. They weren't supposed to, but they did. They became self-righteous and arrogant. Jesus chose them as the least out of many, and he made them the witness to the nations, and they said, hey, forget the nations. Let them all go to hell. And that was the Jewish attitude at the time of Jesus. They hated the fact that Jesus went through Samaria. They hated the fact that Jesus talked to people that were despised. They always tried to accuse Jesus of being a wine-bibber and a glutton. But they kept inviting him to their table. And so here's Jesus who's dealing with this Pharisee, this guy who hates people that are not like him. By the way, the Jews believe that God, the, the strictest of the Jews, here's what they believed. And some of us believe this, we've just never said it. They believe that God created the Gentiles so he could fill up hell. Some of us in this room believe that God created people that are different from us so he could fill up hell. That's called prejudice and that's called self-righteousness. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter who you are. If you think God created people so he could fill up hell, you got the wrong view of who God is. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whether you like him or not, Whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You see, it's easy for us to sit back and, and look at these Pharisees and, and throw rocks at them, but, but haven't, we, haven't we done that? I, I just don't like people dressed like that. I, I don't like people look like I don't like people wear their hair like that. I don't like people that live like that. I don't like people that don't cheer for my football team. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like anything. And, and we start judging people as if we are the judge. And as if we are God. And as if God put us on the throne to make the decisions. You see, the flesh will always be resistant to people who are racially, nationally, socially, 
intellectually, emotionally, or theologically different from us. That's what the flesh does. That's what dead religion does. And as long as we have more walls and we have open doors, we will never reach lost people. As long as we stand at the entrance of the house of God and say in any way, you're not welcome because of, we will not reach lost people and God will remove himself from our presence. As long as we think God thinks like us, we will miss gospel opportunities. You see, a parable is a masterpiece when studied as an isolated story. But they have supernatural meaning and power when studied in context. And the context of this parable is unbelievable. Jesus is confronting man-made religion, self-righteous religion. So here's the story of Simon. He's invited Jesus to a dinner. I guess he thought he was going to earn some favors or trap him. I'm not sure what he thought he was going to do. But there are only three people in this story. Two are named and one is not. Simon is named. Jesus is named. This woman is not named. This is the story of an invitation to come to Simon's house. But what Jesus is going to do at Simon's house is expose hypocrisy. He's going to deal with orthodoxy and dead religion, and he's going to shoot it full of holes. Now, the word Pharisee means the separated ones, the purest. Now, we would call them legalists today. They take the gospel and add to it. They, they take the grace of God and say, but you really only get saved if you do certain works. And, and they add their rules and their laws and their regulations to it. And they have their nasty nine and their dirty dozen and their filthy five and, and their tainted three. And if you do those things, I just, I can't, I can't talk to you. You might rub off on me. Because we have said, I'm better, I'm up here. They're down here. And Jesus gets all over this. You know what the Pharisees called common people? The people of the land. They were the strictest party of law keepers. Now look at Simon. Here's a guy keeping the law. Well, the law said you're supposed to treat a guest a certain way. You're supposed to wash his feet. You're supposed to anoint him with oil. You're supposed to kiss him on the cheek. And Simon didn't do any. He had already broken three laws and Jesus hadn't even gotten to the table yet. But here he is going, ah, Jesus, so Satan with them sinners. You know, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to get my pickup and go home. <laughs> Wait, I am home. <laughs> See, he broke three laws and he's pointing fingers at Jesus and said, Jesus is not who he says he is. The religion of Simon was man-centered. He did religious things, but he didn't love God. He knew about God, and he could look good. Here's the, here's the setting. In the first century, these kind of parties were common. Houses were open. They were not air-conditioned and centrally heated. They were open walls. And when somebody had a party, it, there would be people invited. But then all the people in the city could stand around outside the walls and outside whatever windows there might be in that home and just stand and listen to the conversations that were going on. 
Because most of them knew they would never be invited into a Pharisee's home. So the only way to find out what went on in a Pharisee's home was to stand outside and listen. And so people had gathered, a large number of people had gathered. This woman had heard about it. And, and the setting of this story is that God is going to teach a lesson in grace and that the true faith is God-centered. Man-made religion has no grace. You want to know the story of Simon? He's a man of man-made religion, and he had no grace. <clears throat> now, here's the center. This woman was a known prostitute. She's unnamed. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. The Greek there means a habitual sinner. She was an out-in-the-open sinner. She was known by everybody to be a sinner. Now, these towns are small, a few hundred people, so she may have been the town prostitute. And she makes her way into this room where Jesus is. And remember, they're not sitting at chairs like we do. They're reclining, and their feet are stuck out behind them. And as she weaves her way into the room, as she realizes that God's Son is there before her, she's overwhelmed with emotions, and she begins to weep, and her tears fall on the feet of Jesus. And impulsively, she lets her hair down. The Talmud said that you could divorce a woman for letting her hair down in public. She lets her hair down, and she wipes his feet with her hair and she kisses his feet in adoration and she pours out perfume on the feet of Jesus. The Greek says she kissed his feet over and over and over and over again. She was so overwhelmed. Whatever Jesus was saying at that moment, it overwhelmed her and it got her heart. Simon, on the other hand, has complete disdain for Jesus and this woman. By the way, what she did was reserved for kings and nobility. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ, the Prince of peace. She did for the king what Simon wouldn't do, and he said he loved God. So here's Simon's reaction, verse 39. He said to himself, be careful when you start talking to yourself. Let's just think about what he said. First thing, he, you know, Jesus should have rebuked her. He also said to himself in his head, you know, I, I can't stand women like that. They, they just need to, you know, somebody needs to do away. They, they, you know, in fact, I got some friends, and there's another woman in another town. They're going to pick up some rocks, and they're going to kill her. Should have confronted this woman. He had contempt for the woman. He had contempt for Christ. Look at what he says. If this man were a prophet and he begins to complain to Jesus that Jesus is not treating this woman with contempt, he's mad at Jesus. And he concludes, Jesus is no prophet. <sighs> Don't we sometimes have the same attitudes? I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. That attitude creeps in on all of us. I'm not standing up here and saying that attitude's never crept in on me. It has. And every time it does, Jesus rebukes a stew out of me. 
That attitude creeps in on every one of us. We think we're better than other people. We, we think that God is glad to have us more than he is others. You know, that attitude can then creep in and, and us say, you know, Sherwood is better than other churches. That's pride, and that's not Jesus. So he's got all this contempt. Look at the story of forgiveness. Jesus deals with his self-righteousness in this parable, just a short parable, three verses. Two men are in debt to the same man. Now, don't miss this parable. I mean, all of this is the context for the parable. One owes 500 denarii, the other owes 50. Both are unable to pay the debt. So the point of the parable is it doesn't matter whether you owe 50 or 500. It doesn't matter if you owe uh, on a a trailer or a mansion. If you can't pay the debt, you can't pay the debt. It doesn't matter if you owe on a repossessed car and a used car that's been used 14 times or if you own a brand new one that you didn't intend to make any payments on. It doesn't matter. You can't pay the debt. And so the story that Jesus tells is the money lender, the banker, now don't try this Monday. (laughs) The money lender, the banker, for no apparent reason, look at what it says, graciously forgave them both. He canceled their debts. The, The Greek there means to make a free gift. He paid their debt himself. That's what Jesus did for us. He took our unpayable debt of sin and he paid it himself. So I'm not as bad a sinner as some of those other people. I want to tell you, you were bad enough Jesus had to die for you. Well, I hadn't done what they did. You did enough that Jesus had to go to the cross for you. Well, I'm not like it. You're like enough that Jesus had to give his life to leave the glory of heaven and come to earth and be shamed and crucified on a cross so that your sin and my sin could be paid for. Be careful how you point your finger at other people. The word debt and sin in the Aramaic are the same word. These men didn't deserve They didn't work it off. They didn't work out another financing plan. It was totally forgiven. And Simon, Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. Now that phrase in the Middle East is a blunt phrase that means I'm about to tell you something and you're not going to like it. I wish Jesus would just be sweeter. He is with people who are incredibly honest. He's not with people that think they're better than Jesus himself. Verse 42, which of them therefore will love him more? And Simon answered, well, I suppose, boy, wasn't as smart as thought he was, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said, you judge correctly. Simon was trapped by his own arrogance. He said, "I, I suppose anybody knows that the one who was forgiven the most was the most forgiven. But this applies to Simon and the woman. Both of them were in debt. Let's say the woman was the 500 in debt. Simon was the 50 in debt because he'd been a good religious boy all his life. But both of them needed Jesus. Just one of them figured it out. Simon didn't think he needed Jesus. The woman knew she needed Jesus. 
She knew the magnitude of her debt, and Simon had no gratitude that God came to pay for his debt. His pride and his contempt were for the woman and for Jesus. Not only does a man lack good religion, he lacks gratitude. And grace produces gratitude. Listen, Simon didn't love God. He loved religion. You say, well, I'm a good Baptist. It's, so? What's that got to do with anything? God didn't save you to become a Baptist or a Methodist or a Pentecostal or a Charismatic or an Episcopalian or anything else. God saved you to become a Christ follower, not a religion follower. And some of us need to drain our religious swamps. We got too much bureaucracy and not enough with the baptism of the fire of God on our lives. We're way too caught up in our rules and regulations and not caught up enough in whosoever will may come. Notice that Jesus didn't use the word gratitude. He uses the word love. Which of them will love him more? There's a direct tie to understanding how much I've been forgiven and how much I love. Verse 44, Simon didn't think she deserved to be in the house. Jesus says, hey, see the woman? Now, you know what that is? That's poking the bear. You see this woman? Now look at what Jesus says. You wouldn't stoop to kiss my feet, my hand, but she knelt and kissed my feet. You wouldn't wash my feet, she washed them with tears. You gave me cheap oil to freshen up and she poured out priceless perfume for me. Here's what the woman did. She did everything for Jesus that Simon was supposed to do. Everything that Simon knew as a religious leader and as a courteous host he was supposed to do, she did it all. And the whole story is played out in front of this crowd, and they're seeing this. And all these people in this town, you want to talk about a setup. All these people in this town, they know the Pharisee and they know about the woman. And you can imagine what the people outside the wall are doing. They're going... Because they realize, Pharisee's been caught. We've been knowing he was a liar and a thief, but he's been caught. And somebody in the crowd in Hebrew said, nanny, nanny, poo-poo. <laughs> oh, Simon, this woman that you look down on has done for me what was right to do for me. And Jesus tells her, She's forgiven. John Owen said, He who has slight thoughts of his sin never has great thoughts of God. Look, I've been in church all my life. I mean, I've been in church all my life. I've been around church people all my life. I've preached in more churches than I can count. I've, I've talked to more pastors than I can count. I've heard more stories about the problems I deal with in their churches than I can count. And I tell you something, I, I've decided that this is the problem with the church. We are full of people who have sin in good standing. Sin in good standing. Well, I've never had an abortion I've never murdered anybody. I've never done any jail time. I've never stolen anything. I've never done this. But you got greed in your heart. 
you got lust in your heart, you got envy, you got jealousy, you're a gossip, you can sit in the living room and lick the skillet in the kitchen. Some of you need to think about that for a minute. <laughs> and so what we have is sin in good standing. And so we walk into church and say, I, I know about you and you know about me. Let's just pretend. Let's just pretend. And can I tell you something? Lost people can smell a pretender three miles away. They can smell a pretender three miles away. But the aroma of Christ is also undeniable. Anywhere you go and you give the aroma of Christ, there's always somebody that will be weeping that you love them enough to say, come on in. Be a part of the family. Sit at my table. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not, I'm not. God judged you at the cross. He judged your sin at the cross. But he gave you hope at the cross. Well, I need to hurry. You see, our love for Christ is in direct proportion of our consciousness of sin. And so here's the what now. The what now is remember forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is costly. Verse 42, forgive means to forgive by making a gift. Verse 48, forgiven means to release or to let go or to cancel. By the way, when you forgive somebody, you don't keep bringing it up. The devil keeps bringing it up. Religious people keep bringing it up. But you don't keep bringing it up when you forgive. It's costly. Why? Because it costs Jesus' his life. The one forgiving assumed the debt. Jesus assumed your debt. Simon hid behind his rules. The woman had nothing to hide behind. Secondly, forgiveness has to be received. It has to be received. Jesus offers forgiveness, but you have to receive it. And thirdly, forgiveness results in love and worship. <clears throat> so I want to ask you a question on this third point and then just point out one thing. If gratitude is a sign of forgiveness, what is ingratitude a sign of? If forgiveness results in love and worship, if gratitude is a sign of forgiveness, what is ingratitude a sign of? You see, she showed her love in an act of worship, and God forgave her. And he said, go in peace. Literally, go into peace. Go into a new way of life. Go into a new mentality. Listen, when you walk out of here, I hope in the name of Jesus you walk out with gratitude. I hope when you walk out of here today, you don't walk out of here and see people in the restaurant today and the first thing you think is, look at those sorry sinners. They didn't even go to church this morning. 
Oh, we do that. You know what the waitresses say? Look at those sorry Christians. Here goes another customer without making a good tip. I'll tell you, we're Pharisees when we don't treat waitresses nice. Because we think we're better. You're here to serve me. How about you're there to bless them? How about you're there to bless them? We sat in a restaurant the other day, four people sitting at a table. They all had, because I know what the ticket price was in that restaurant, they had about $60 worth of food. They left $2 on the table. I've watched people do that and leave a track. Hey, keep your stinking track. Because it's making the rest of us look bad. And don't ask them how you can pray for them if you're not going to tip them. Because you're giving Christianity a bad witness. Just go ahead and print up a t-shirt. I'm a Pharisee, I'm a jerk, but I want to tell you that God loves you anyway. Don't be a Pharisee. We don't need any more Pharisees in Albany, Georgia. We got enough. We need a lot of Jesus people in Albany, Georgia. We need a lot of people that just love Jesus and love the people that Jesus loves and love the people that Jesus died for. We need to walk slowly through our community and love on people that other people go around and ignore and close their eyes and pretend to have a conversation with somebody else because they don't want to make eye contact with them. Hey, nothing's going to change by us doing what we're doing right now. It's only going to change when God gets a hold of our lives and out of love and worship, compassion flows out of us. Oh, folks, listen. Don't get mad at me. Jesus had worse things to say about Pharisees than I do. He called them whitewashed tombs and of your father, the devil. So if you're a Pharisee, let me just tell you, your father's the devil. You don't know Jesus. You may have religion, but you don't know Jesus. Stuart Briscoe said it this way. There is no knowing what could happen in the church if those who attend could grasp the measure of their forgiveness, the magnitude of the debt Christ assumed, and the resultant sense of freedom. So when you came today, and when you leave today, would those who know you best say, you're a lot like Simon? Or would they say, you're like the woman you've recognized that only Jesus can save you? Only Jesus can forgive you. Listen, Jesus died for the Pharisees too. And in our flesh, we'd say they didn't deserve it. Not after the way they treated him. But he did. And I don't deserve it either. Nobody in this room deserves it. It is the unmerited grace of God. And if that ever gets a hold of our hearts like it needs to.
then we'll quit looking at these people in the world that wear their sin on the outside. And we'll start looking at the sin that is in our heart on the inside. And we will get on our knees and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner.